Psalms 109, God whom I praise, do not ignore me. For they say cruel and deceptive things to me. They lie to me. They surround me and say hateful things. They attack me for no reason. They repay my love with accusations, but I continue to pray. They repay me evil for good and hate for love. Appoint an evil man to testify against them. May an accuser stand at his right side. When he is judged, he will be found guilty. Then his prayer will be regarded as sinful. May his days be few. May another take his job. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children roam around begging, asking for handouts as they leave their ruined home. May the creditor seize all he owns. May strangers loot his property. May no one show him kindness. May no one have compassion on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off. May the memory of them be wiped out by the time the next generation arrives. May his ancestors' sins be remembered by the Lord. May his mother's sin not be forgotten. May the Lord be constantly aware of them and cut off the memory of his children from the earth. For he never bothered to show kindness. He harassed the oppressed and needy and killed the disheartened. He loved to curse others, so those curses have come upon him. He had no desire to bless anyone. He has experienced no blessings. He made cursing a way of life. So curses poured into his stomach like water and seeped into his bones like oil. May a curse attach itself to him like a garment one puts on or a belt one wears continually. May the Lord repay my accusers in this way, those who say evil things about me. O sovereign Lord, intervene on my behalf for the sake of your reputation. Because your loyal love is good, deliver me. For I am oppressed and needy, and my heart beats violently within me. I am fading away like a shadow at the end of the day. I am shaking off like a locust. I am starved, my knees shake. I have turned into skin and bones. I am disdained by them. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God, because you are faithful to me. Deliver me. Then they will realize this is your work and that you, Lord, have accomplished it. They curse, but you will bless. When they attack, they will be humiliated, but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be covered with shame and draped in humiliation as if it were a robe. I will thank the Lord profusely in the middle of the crowd. I will praise him because he stands at the right hand of the needy to deliver him from those who threaten his life. We were in the scow and fire department, uh, you know, running our meetings, uh, and that's in Scotland, North Carolina. And we, we have been up there for a, a number of years. But one particular Sunday, we're running a, a worship set, and uh, Stephen Scroggs Jr. is playing. And, you know, for many of you, I'm sure that you probably, like, have hit places before where, like, you're worshiping God, but it's like the heavens have turned brass over you. And it's like, man, I cannot get a breakthrough for anything. And this is one of those Sunday mornings. It's the Sunday morning when everybody wants to run out of the room. And 
So if you've been in leadership or if you've been in a congregational setting or you've been in a worship sense where you're just like, we're going after Jesus and it's just like really tense and things aren't going right. And, you know, you start focusing on the worship leader. Have they been in sin or is it my sin? Or I think, and you start thinking about someone else's sin and, and you're all conflicted in your mind. Um, it, more than likely, you're in an environment where the enemy is attacking. And this particular Sunday, it was like that. But and normally, like in worship sets and running prayer meetings for almost a decade in worship meetings, you know, there's a little bit of this that you're dealing with all the time. And maybe you're dealing with this in your private life and not even in congregational settings or you've been in these settings well, this particular Sunday is probably, I would say it's the top five, maybe maybe the top one I've ever been in where getting a breakthrough is like we've been running the worship for 45 minutes, almost an hour, uh, and it just feels like you're not even in your own skin. And so uh, we did, we break through, it takes almost an hour. And uh, we start to get the uh, the word of the Lord starts to come through and the worship goes. And in that wonderful sensation of when the spirit of the word comes and you just feel him and you, you know, you're just like, okay, and it's going to be all right. And you have the word of the Lord. And just off the bat here, I just want to like encourage you uh, when you, if you hit a place like that, because they come not always frequently and they'll always come by surprise, but when they do, know that, you know, to just, this is just a pastoral moment here, contend for a breakthrough because there's one on the other side of this. Well, uh, the next day I'm sitting with, uh, Stephen and we're doing a debrief and I'm sitting with another uh, man by the name of Marshall. And I, you know, I'm like, had already, before we got together, I'm like, uh, Jesus, you know, what is going on? And he takes me to Revelation 12 and starts to speak to me about uh, Satan, uh, Lucifer, coming down uh, out of the heavens and coming against God's people. And it says in Revelation 12, a war arose in heaven, Michael, his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There's no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, is thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, now the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before the Lord. But they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their life uh, to the death. But he says, Rejoice, O heavens, you that dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the, the devils come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And, and I hear this from the Lord. Uh, Lucifer was in your meeting yesterday. And I'm like, for real. Now, I got to tell you, you know, I, I hope you know this. Lucifer is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. And he is not omnipresent. Okay, that means he's not all-knowing. He's not... He's not omnipotent, means he has all power, and he's not omnipresent. That means that Lucifer, when he moves somewhere, he can only be in one location. It's not like the Lord. Um, I'm not speaking of, of Jesus, but the Spirit of God. 
and who is om, omnipresent. Now the word, uh, excuse me, Lucifer is not that way. And so, if the Lord says to me, He's come to your meeting to visit, you know, I didn't even know that Lucifer comes to church meetings, or if he even comes to hang out around where we're at. But apparently, this particular Sunday, he's uh, comes and he sits on our front row. And he's in there. Now, you could say, well, Carol, this is highly subjective. How can you know that? Well, let me tell you what happens. I'm uh, sitting there with Steve, and I was like, and Marshall, and I said, you know, guys, I'm pretty sure the Lord told me this morning that what we were dealing with in that meeting yesterday was that Lucifer himself was in the meeting. And they just kind of look at me. Right when I say that, I have my phone in front of me, and up pops, uh, you know, one of those... uh, you have Messenger with Facebook, and a messenger pops up uh, on it, and it's uh, from Donna Huffstetler or Vasquez, Kira's aunt, and and it says in the post, it says, "What if Satan visits your church?" I mean, as soon as it came out of my mouth, and for me, that was obje- the objective proof that I needed that the Father or the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, has spoke to me. Now, first thing that comes to my mind, it might sound kind of I don't know how you take this, but I was like, is that all you got? I mean, yeah, 45 minutes, and yeah, it was intense, and yeah, it was probably one of the worst meetings I'd been in, uh, but he had to go because in the worship of Jesus, he just he couldn't stand to hang around when someone's like, we're not going to break our testimony about this king that we love and serve, and the blood of the lamb is good enough for us. And we're going to hang out here because we're not going to put an emphasis on our own life. Because I'm going to tell you, when the enemy comes at you as a flood, it says in Isaiah, the Lord is raising up a standard of righteousness. And even though he comes to assault and attack and sends his horde against us, all we got to do is plead the blood of Jesus, stand and stay in your testimony and don't back off for an inch, you know, uh, you stay in the Lord. And so today, as we launch into this podcast, uh, it's called The Lucifer Appeal. And I want to talk to you uh, about this. There is There was a guy, um, let me see if I can pull this up. Okay, Sun Tzu, The Art of War. And this is uh, a quote out of that book. He said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. So that's a 50%, that's a one-to-one ratio. If you win a victory, you'll be defeated, he's saying, if you just know yourself. But he says, if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So, this is about getting to know, to get to know your enemy in this podcast, because we're what we're going to look at is we need to understand who Lucifer is and what he's about. Now, I want to say this. Um, if When you move in faith with the Father, when you move in faith with the Father, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So when you when you say yes to the Father and when he moves on you and the Holy Spirit, you know, says, hey, I want you to engage in this and and I want you to believe me for this. And you say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. There are two things that come from that. 
and they don't come on the front end because trust has the, you're doing this out of a trust relationship with him. But after every movement of faith will always come two things. One of them is you will receive righteousness. Now I'm not talking about the imputed righteousness that came in your justification when God saved you. I'm talking about imparted righteousness that has to do with your sanctification. That means Simply put, the Lord is going to take out of you which is not like himself, and he's going to replace that with his own nature. Uh, Peter talked about taking on the divine nature. And so you receive the nature of God every time that you move in faith. You're receiving another impartation of his nature. So private prayer life, wherever he speaks to you in a meeting, however he speaks to you, riding in your car, the word speaks to you. You say, you know what? I'm going to trust you, Father. I'm going to move out in this. And you say yes to the Lord. What you just have done is invited yourself to receive an impartation of God's nature into your person. With that nature also comes something else. He gives you the discovery of who you are in him. Now, both of these things are very important because in the world system and the way the tree of knowledge of good and evil works is asking you to seek yourself. That's a left-based tree of knowledge of good and evil and to become more right or in, in your own eyes. It's, it's, it's like if I do these 18 steps, I'll finally be good enough. And that's built out of a whole complete what we call a religious system. So again, let me just make this clear to you. When you move in faith with the Father, you believe him. He's the one by his grace that moves on you. And all that you're responsible is to agree with him and to say, okay, yes. Now, you can say no to the Lord in your sanctification. If you do, you basically impede your development, meaning that what would have maybe taken a year now might take longer. You impede your human development with him because the, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will not move on you. So if he says, you know, do this, whatever, there's a billion different things that he may say. I don't know. That's tailor-made for each one of you. He's the best teacher. He knows what he's doing and he's training you. But let me tell you on the other side of going through adversity that comes after faith will come a place of rest and then comes expansion. In that, through that adversity, Two things are going to happen again. You're going to receive righteousness, meaning that you're going to receive an aspect of the character of God or what's called his communicable attributes, attributes of himself that can be communicated to you that are made in his image and likeness. Secondly, he's going to tell you something about yourself. It's amazing. The greatest greatest stimulation that could ever go on the human heart is to be known by God. There is nothing greater than when God speaks and communicates himself through himself into the human spirit and lets you know who he is in you and living his life out in you. It is thrilling, but it never comes apart from trusting him. And so this is the mechanism of knowing yourself. Now, going back to Sun Tzu, the art of war, if you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory you gain, you're also going to suffer defeat. And my thing today is, is well, Lord, we, we don't just need to come into more self-discovery, like to get the latest prophetic word and sort of to seek those things or just to go through the mechanism of change to get to know myself. Now, so many of us, 
listen, when we're children and we're developing as children, what you do with a child is you keep reinforcing them. And that is something that the father will do for you. But there does come a time when you don't constantly have to be reinforced in essential aspects of your uh, of yourself because your identity is being strengthened. And so what the father will do is he'll invite you into uh, warfare and to develop in warfare. And so this is a path of human development that he takes you into. So you win some and you lose some by getting to know yourself. If you don't know yourself or the enemy, you're just taken out all the time. You live in constant defeat. And uh, and so there's a progression in this. But my, um, my assignment today with you is particularly because many of you that are listening to this podcast, you've come into some great revelation and understanding of who you are. You've, some of you spent, you know, 10, 20, 50, you know, I don't know, 40 years getting to know how God views you and how he sees you and having your identity reinforced. But some of you are really having some struggle and because you've got to get to know your enemy. You've got to get to know how he operates and what he does. And I'm going to tell you that day that he came into that meeting, uh, obviously that was a new testing place for us because I didn't uh, know how to stand in that kind of environment. Like I said, now it took us 45 minutes to an hour to break through. And maybe he just got tired of it and left, you know, but uh, Lucifer is a very real, a real presence. And so uh, Satan is called the angel of darkness. And I'm going to read you some passages on his origin to start out with. In Ezekiel 28, 11 through 15, it says, Moreover, the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus says the word Jehovah, You seal up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. And the workmanship of your tabrets and of your pipes was in you. In the day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub that covers. And I set you so that you were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until, one translation says unrighteousness and another one says iniquity was found in you. So we find out that when Lucifer was created, that there was, he was sealed up with the sum of two areas. The two areas are wisdom and beauty. And to seal up the sum means that, the, that he filled up the pattern or he filled up a blueprint. What Ezekiel is saying to us is, um, he did it, the Lord himself, when he made him out of a specific pattern, he didn't uh, will himself to go beyond that. Animals were created and he created them in a particular pattern and, he, and angels, he created them in a particular pattern and he sealed up the sum, meaning that he gave him two primary areas, wisdom and beauty. That means that out of all the creatures that were ever made, and I'm and I'm going to surmise, besides ourselves as human beings, he was given the greatest understanding, wisdom, and and he became the most uh, beautiful. 
So when you when you think about Lucifer, a lot of people have predicted have shown him to be so ugly and grotesque, and this may not be the right picture of him as being hideous because he is the most he has this super amount of wisdom and he has this beautiful uh, outward appearance. Um, he was made as one who is shining. And he also was made one who was over the tabrets and pipes, meaning that he was the one who was in charge of the worship. Now, it says that he is the cherub that covers. And I want to point this out, that the cherubim that are spoke of in the word are cherubim that are underneath the throne. And there are seraphim around the throne. And then there's an angelic order that is beneath that that's in the second heavens where Michael the archangel and Gabriel and the whole other two-thirds of the host operate. Point is, is that Lucifer, more than likely from what we can see, was made to be the greatest of the angelic expression that God had ever created. And so uh, the reason why we need to understand that is because we need to understand what happened in his heart. And in 1 John 3, 8, it says, John says that the devil sinned from the beginning. And in 1 Timothy 3, 6, it talks about qualifications that need to be, let's say, in church leadership and an elder. And one of these is not to be a novice, lest being puffed up, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. And so we know that out of that verse, that one of the great things that caused Lucifer to fall was uh, the consequence of of pride. And so what I wanted to show today, and there's there's so much that can be said about uh, Lucifer. One of them is, is that uh, he has a strong intellect. Another one is, is that he has emotion. Another one is that he has a will. And what I'm going to get in today is something called uh, the five eye wheels of Lucifer. And this is where this, this storyline really is going to pick up uh, for us is uh, Lucifer's five eye wheels. Now, this is found in Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. And each each of these begins with I will because it, it reveals Satan's self-sufficiency and his self-worship. These are the, the five eye wheels starting with this one. He said, I will ascend into heaven. Number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Number three, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will be like the most high. Now, let me try to put this into your uh, understanding. In the gospel, and to simplify the gospel, I just call it uh, DBRA. Death, burial, resurrection, resurrection, and ascension. And what we're dealing with here is the ascension aspect of the gospel. Because Lucifer is saying, first off, I have said in my heart, I will ascend into heaven. And then I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now that word there, the stars of God, means the angelic order. I will exalt a throne above the angelic order. Number three, again, I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be 
like the Most High. Now, the Lord, the way he kind of has helped me with this, and maybe this will help you, is there are five aspects of space. So if if you're on the earth, uh, the first space atmosphere is called a troposphere. The second one is called a stratosphere. The third, a mesosphere. The fourth, a thermosphere. And the fifth, an exosphere. And what the Lord has kind of overlaid for me is to take these five eye wheels and place them in order of progression. For instance, when he says, I will ascend into heaven, place that in the troposphere. And what I'm going to do in a detailed section of this on the Lucifer appeal, uh, I'm going to put this picture in there for you. So if you want to, you can go in and look at this while you're listening to this podcast and you can take these five eye wheels and you can start to understand. And what I really challenge you to do is, you know, ask Holy Spirit to give you revelation of this um, so that you can understand, you know, what is going on. Now, God has something to say about this because he has found this. There are five eye wheels of God in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. And, and these are what he says or his promises to us. First of all, he says, I will bring you out. He told the Israel, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Secondly, he says, I will take you to me for a people. Third, I will be to you a God. Number four, I will bring you in unto the land. And fifth, I will bring it to you for a heritage. Um. And then there are five I wills that we can say back to God. These are found in, in the Psalms. In Psalms 5, 7, it says, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward the holy temple. Number two, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Number three, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Number four, I will rejoice in thy salvation and five, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so we have, okay, God has his five eye wheels. Lucifer has his five eye wheels. And we have our five wheels that we can speak back. Now, and let me just say this again. That first eye wheel that we say is Psalms 5, 7. And the second one or second ones are in Psalms 9, 1. The fourth one is in Psalms 9, 14. And the fifth is in Psalms 23, 6. And again, these will be in uh, the detailed notes section. So you can pull these up and look at these. Now, back to me telling you a story uh, about about this and why this has entered in so prevalently into uh, my consciousness and understanding and why it's so important that, that we take this word today uh, serious. This is one area that our enemy does not want us to know about. He does not want you and I to get into an understanding about this, nor to have revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit about this. And if if anything, this is an aspect or a podcast that he uh, will oppose and come against. At the beginning of the podcast, I quoted to you Psalms 109 and that uh, passage of scripture that we were working with, it comes from, uh, it comes from a statement against Judas Iscariot. And so if, if you're going to understand Lucifer, you've got to understand what happened with Judas. 
so it's a Friday night meeting and I go to Steve Scroggs Sr. and John Harris's and I'm being challenged by the Lord to just sit and be quiet. I've, you know, I've ran a lot of meetings myself, but I'm just like, okay. And the Lord's like, I just want you to be quiet and I want you to pay attention and just watch the meeting and learn. And so I opened up a packet that Steve had uh, put out. And when I opened up the packet, uh, I looked down and it says Judas Iscariot from Kiriath. And I noticed that these words jumped off the page. One of them said manly and the other one said to show oneself to be champion of a city. And I I have to tell you, it really struck me personally because uh, my name Carol means champion or manly or fierce warrior. And, uh, you know, we joked about that before because like C-A-R-O-L means song of joy. And I said, you know, that's not me. I'm just, I mean, no, I love to have be a song of joy, but my name's got to be something really masculine. You know, I'm like telling my wife, I was like, I'm not a song of joy. I'm I'm a, I'm a man, you know, and, and so, so, but this is all in a whole different context now, and I'm like not feeling so proud of my name, and, uh, you know, because for years, you know, or a few years ago, I learned about that, and so I'm really kind of struck with this, and it gets my attention, and, and so I, I looked down, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a really deep study on this, and so I go in, and I find out this uh, study in like the concordance, and I, I find out that Iscariotos means in a Hebrew origin an inhabitant of Kiriath, and Kiriath was a a city in Judean territory. So one of the first things I want to say is Judas Iscariot from Kiriath is a Judean. Now I'm sure that you uh, know this. The Lord is from what tribe? He's from the tribe of Judah. So he's got a Judean in the 12 that's on his apostolic team. So what is Judah about? Well, Judah is about a kingship. And Judah has been given a, a position where he's going to rule and reign. And so uh, in, in Judah's whole mentality and background and bloodline and family line is someone who has received a scepter to rule governmentally. And so you've got this guy on the team who has got family history and background of, I'm supposed to rule over a city, a, na- a town, a nation, uh, multi-nations, and I'm pretty excited about this because I'm on the team with this man who claims to be God. And because he does, I've got me a position that's coming up. And so Judas is very much in his mind has this idea. So when Jesus starts saying, I'm going to die, you know, they're going to kill me and crucify me. Judas is like, this is not the path that I'm going on. I'm, I'm on a path for fame and glory. And this guy that I thought is God, who's going to give me a position of influence is saying he's going to die. And of course, you know, you know what's going to happen. Judas is going to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver uh, because he can't get along with someone who has got this mentality. Now, when you know the story of Judas that says, now Lucifer, Satan, enters into him. 
And so when we're talking about the Lucifer appeal today, we're talking about what was it in Judas that appeal was a place that Lucifer could find a vacancy to enter into him. Because something about Judas's will and emotions and mental capacity was of such that Lucifer himself could get along with him. How does a man like Judas hang out with the Lord? I mean, we're talking about the king of glory here. We're talking about the God man. We're talking about the one who loves people and is going uh, and doing everything that the father wants him to. How is he hanging out right next to him and yet is going to be the very one who betrays him? And over a little bit of money, we think it and possibly we know this, that Judas is pilfering off the top of the uh, out of the money. And we know that there's we all know that there's something wrong with that. It's ethically not correct that he shouldn't be doing that. We know these guys spoke up when Mary of Bethany is, you know, they're pouring out all this uh, ointment on the Lord's feet. And shouldn't we give that to the poor? So um, Judas is probably a big time social justice guy. He's probably a socialist to the max. He believes in the distribution to the needy. He believes in making everybody's life awesome. You got to understand who you're dealing with here. You're dealing with a modern day, probably what we would call a Marxist. You're dealing with a communist and his mentality. Problem is, and just like communism and socialism and these totalitarianism, fascism, all of them work is they're wanting to put a man on the throne. And this is Judas's corrupt problem. His problem is, is he wants to actually be in the place of God. Now, so, I, you know, you go in, you keep studying. What does it mean? Well, in the Old Testament, number 377, it comes from uh, his name. It says to show oneself a man. Now, I mean, how much in our culture is like, hey, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Hey, be a man. Hey, um, you need to man up. You need to woman up. And how much of that is being stimulated by a wrong spirit? Because that doesn't come from the spirit of the word. The word says, humble yourself in the eyes of God, and he will lift you up in due season. The word, it prizes humility. It doesn't say be the man or be the woman or pull yourself up by the bootstraps or yes, we can. He doesn't say stuff like that. He actually, that's an anathema to the Lord. It is built in pride. So to show oneself to be a man is in the etymology of, of uh, Judas's name. So when we're looking at Iscariot, that's what we get. And then when we look deeper into Kyriah, it's cited in the New Testament at number 9469. But when you look deeper into the Old Testament 7152, it means uh, the plural of buildings or places in Palestine. Well, you got to go deeper in that into 7151, and it means the sense of flooring or to build a city. And in OT 7136, it says to light upon or to bring about or impose timbers or to bring something in to happen. It means literally to build a city. So what does Kiriath mean? It means to build a city. And when you get even further down into this, there's a pictograph that comes forth, and it's the picture of the sun of the horizon gathering light. 
and it's the picture of the head of a man. So combined with these meanings, you have together men with the object or arrangement of bringing light. Well, you know, when I was looking at this, I said, oh my goodness, all this story and about bringing an awakening and bringing light. Now watch this. This is what his name means. Judas Iscariot from Kiriath basically means to champion gathering men together to bring fire to their heads in a city. So does that sound like Acts 2 to you? Or is that just me? Or does that sound like the Illuminati? So this idea, and this is what, this is in particular what we've got to get at is Lucifer is able to enter into, into Judas to betray the Lord for money and his unsanctified will and emotions uh, and praise on him right next to the Lord, the one who is right next to the Lord that's going to sup with him at the Passover. He's entered all the way to Passover because Judas's whole entire mentality, name, background, historical aspect of him is this one idea, I want to be king. And I actually want to champion the cause of bringing together others in a city so I can bring fire down on man's heads. You know, it, it breaks my heart that Peter will betray the Lord. Many of the disciples, many of the people will betray the Lord. And they'll, Peter and, and you'll see this, who is a tribe of Simeon, and you'll see Judas, who's tribe of Judah. They'll go out and they'll both weep desperately and go through a place and Peter will weep bitterly to the point that it'll bring him to a place where he receives the grace of God. And he has Satan on him because Jesus said, uh, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But when you rise up, go and strengthen your brothers. But in Judas's case, he will go out and he will commit suicide and he'll take his own life. Now he knew that what he had done was wrong, but he couldn't handle it. Now, how does this work? Lucifer has these five I wills in him. Now, I want to tell you how serious this has got for me personally. I said, Lord, and, I, and, the, and the Lord, you know, comes to me. I've, I've had a number of moments with the Lord recently, actually 13 moments, just completely fire will come and just burst into tears. And I'm like, and it is probably the worst moments of my life. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? He brings this word to me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, inside of us is, our, we're born. The Bible says that you were, you were shaping in iniquity. John Wesley Redfield put it this way. He stood up to preach to a whole congregation of people, and he called them monsters of iniquity. And he says, because you won't weep properly over your sins, I will. And they said that great preacher would throw his head back and cry over man's sin. And when he would weep, people were just being thrown down in the floor, weeping over their sins. And uh, people outside the church were falling down, being knocked unconscious and would raise back up. And uh, if they were a thief, they'd go restore all the money that they had stolen. Or if they had, were a drunkard, they would never drink again. They said people were being saved all around that because that man, John Wesley Redfield, had come to a condition with God where he could really weep over man's sins, not just his own. Cause, and you have to read his story, and I'll put it in a detail section for you to read, but to read his story, chapter 14, John Wesley Redfield, 
And where he comes into an experience with God where he really, really finally gets to a point where he's like, Lord, have your way with me. And listen, listen to me today. Because many of you, you've got the prophetic word made more sure. I, I believe that. I, I don't even believe many people would, you know, I'm hoping people that are unsaved will listen to this podcast. But many of you, you're, you know, you're down the road with the word. You got the prophetic word made sure. In your life, you're contending for it, but you got to know the way Lucifer operates. You've got to understand these I wills and to put myself forward because this is the ascension motif that we're talking about. There's a whole thing going on in the body of Christ right now among ascension people. And I'm going to tell you, some of it is is okay, but some of it is really not good because many people are trying to put themselves forward. And the Lord wants to challenge us right now you know, go back and listen to Black Widow Box or listen to Black Hole. Listen to those two podcasts. Listen to what it means not to put yourself forward and to be seen and to bring fame and glory to yourself because that is the same thing that happened to Lucifer in the, with a post-ascension mentality. Listen, uh, if Judas didn't make it through this, and Lucifer got cast out of heaven because of it, we shouldn't imagine ourselves to be greater than that. Let us take this moment, and I and I want to ask you with me to partner with me. I'm I'm going through this, and I'm saying, Lord, deal with what I can't deal with by your grace, Jesus. We just come to you today. We ask you in your grace, Lord. Listen, right now, I'm getting this from the Lord because this is happening. Someone under the sound of my voice right now, this is happening to you. And I can see you in your house, on your, uh, you're in your, it's like a, it's in a chair uh, and it's, it's brown and it's a single chair and you're sitting there right now and you're going to write back to me, but God is speaking to you directly right now and he's saying, let me have everything. I need you to let me have everything. And I, and I want to tell you, all of you, many of you listen to this podcast right now. Listen, listen, please listen. Do not think that God is Jesus. One of the traps of the enemy is to say to you that he has disqualified you because of the pressure and what you're going through in your life. And I want you to hear from me because some of you that has run you out to places of insanity and you need encouragement right now. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that your grace would drop right now. And do what I can't do for the people, Lord, who have went out on the edge for you, Lord. But they've come up to a place and they don't know how to handle it. And, Lord, they're getting discouraged because they don't they don't understand the Lucifer appeal. And, Lord, they're feeling uh, left out and they're being shelved and the people don't understand them. And, or they're wanting to, they're dealing with that. Or, Lord, they're trying to go and show their own glory and to bring themselves forward. And they feel that feeling like if somebody just knew who I was and they knew my ministry calling and they knew my prophetic word that was over my life, I would finally uh, have my day. I'm going to tell you these are traps. John, John said, no man has anything unless the Father gives it. Listen, let your audience today be an audience of one. Jesus, we just pray right now, Lord, just release grace all over the place, Lord. Release it over our environments of our homes, Lord, and just let your Shekinah glory come. And Lord, give us wisdom, Lord, 
the wisdom, Lord, to see clearly what you're saying this hour, Lord, because this awakening's coming, Lord, we don't want it to corrupt us and throw us and spin us in the wrong direction. Eyes only on you, Jesus. We want to keep our eyes fixed on you all the days of our life. Thank you for the blood, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. And our eyes have been on